You're listening to Green Possible, where being free makes being green possible. I'm your host I, and the show starts in. Hi, well. Good morning, I. Nice to be on with you once again. So, um, I had a an interesting experience on your channel, on one of your channel. And the thing is, I I read something that is so the way this person think is so different from everybody else in the group. I had to really, you know, watch myself when I wanted to re- reply, and and then when you say when you reacted to that, I read that one. And realize that oh, I am I am like this person who who thinks different than we are, but then I'm treating him. How do I say that? Like he is not he the way he thinks is not like the other people in the group. Yeah, so I understand what you're saying. So some people they they not only do they have a certain viewpoint, but sometimes they have an emotional bent, so that they have a sort of a habit of pointing out the negative side of everything. And there always is a negative side of everything. So if that's what you're looking for, you can find it. Right, and but then I realized that I I need to, you know, because he 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 or she must have think of the rest of the people the same way. So what I needed to do is to really watch myself and and allow this person to express the the point of view. Yeah, and if of, you're if you give a nice gentle response and they watch, maybe they'll see uh, something they didn't see before. But if they're too, you know, we can't control their mind. If they choose to right. find the negative in every everything, and that's all they ever do, eventually we have to quit communicating with them. But Sometimes if we're gentle, maybe they'll see something that they didn't see before. Right. And then that's the, the total, that's the point. You know, last week we were talking about how, how people can't seem to uh, agree to disagree anymore. Yeah. There's, there's always an, an issue like that. So specifically the, um, kind of the issue that came up in the tech channel where people were, uh, someone was talking about open source versus closed source, and they were pointing out some problems with closed source as if, well, that has problems too, so it's just as bad. But I think what happens is is people fall into a logic trap, like a binary logic trap, which means it's safe or it's unsafe, and there's no in between. But actually, everything is in between because technology, you could take a handwritten diary and that's going to, that's, we would normally consider, well, that's perfectly safe. No one can hack that until it gets stolen. And then you realize it's not perfectly safe. Or you could take the most uh, corrupt operating system, like, you know, a famous one and (laughs) unplug it from the internet and and it has no connection to anything. And it's after that, it's pretty safe. So everything exists on a spectrum. There's no, there's, there's no binary placement of safe versus unsafe and of course right. when it comes to open source we can we can see what's there far far better than than a closed source whether it's a program or an operating system or anything and it's always possible that someone could sneak something into the open source 
but hey, it's open source. Maybe we can find it because since we can see it, it, we can find it. Whereas a closed source, everything in there was snuck in there. So um, I would say that the closed source is very uh, on the on the spectrum of safe. It's very close to the unsafe side, and the open source is is the best we can do towards getting towards the safe side, in my opinion. Right, and in in practical uh, sense, that for you know people have different. Uh, tech skill level, and so you know we also need to provide those for for people who wants to be more safe, but needs an easier way to do it. So yeah, you know, and, and unfortunately, there's not always a super easy way when it comes to technology. You're sort of playing with fire because if you don't know what you're doing. It, you know, it could be like teaching a pack of monkeys to make fire in the jungle to help them cook their food. And it, it might seem like a good idea until you came back the next day and they, they burned down their jungle. So <laughs> in a way, if, if you really don't understand technology, then uh, defer to maybe a family member or someone trusted to sort of help you with the technology. And if there's no one you trust that can do it, then, then start backing, backing up a bit and use the simplest versions of technologies that you can, that you can trust. And that's sort of the, the uh, reasoning behind my GMRS radio communications channels, because the cellular network and the, the phone network isn't something we can control or trust. It's basically under the control of an oligarchy. So I wish there was a better solution than GMRS radio and, or ham radio. But I think that might be the best thing we have right now. Well, in in my experience of learning Linux uh, and also talking to people who are new to it, you know, once you're into Linux, you kind of can't help but wants to figure out and learn more. So I was thinking that if we could help people uh, know that they can, they the, totally have the myth, the ways and, and ability to learn and to start doing something a little at a time. And so that fits in with your what you're saying. There's, you know. Yeah, I think it's really know. great. It's really great for people to see success stories when they say, hey, that person's just like me and they're using Linux or they're growing their own food or they're using their own radio or they're developing their own culture, teaching their own kids. I mean, all the articles of self-responsibility that sentient humans need to address. If I think the best thing we can do is, is lead by example. If we can, you know, preaching is limited. You can talk about it, but ultimately people are much more inspired by seeing, you know, actual evidence like pictures of people doing something that is taking uh, charge of their, of their life. Right. And so I guess what we're trying to do is get more people into our group mentality. Uh, but, you know, what's, what, how do we, hmm, you know, that, but you're hope, I'm hoping that's not peer pressure. Well, all, everything, you know, every time you talk to another human, there's some kind of peer pressure because if, if you had zero effect on them, there would be no point in talking. So I guess um, if we're going to affect someone, we want it to be as positive as possible. And if we're, it, what we're doing, we're sort of promoting a, an, an ideal where we take responsibility for um, all these things. And that is a form of peer pressure. 
because how can you watch somebody and not be somehow influenced by what you see? Even if, if they're doing something bad, then you might be influenced away from what they're doing. And if they're doing something good, you're going to be, do, you know, you're going to be influenced to, to do that. So I don't think we can pretend that there's no such thing as peer pressure with what we're doing. I mean, that's effectively is what we're doing. Yeah. And that, that's kind of, uh, reminded me of a question I wanted to ask you last time. So we were talking about religion and freedom. And so how do we know, how does anyone discern if this is, if this religion you, you noticed or discovered is not, I, I guess the word would be cult, but I don't know if that's the right word. Like, sure, not yeah. So you, you come across a religion and you're wondering if they're a cult. So um, interestingly, I came from a cult. I was actually born into a Mormon polygamous cult. And for the first six year, years of my life, I lived on a, a, a ranch. We call it the ranch. It was Pinesdale, Montana. And, and so my family came from a cult and we escaped. Um, during the time I was there, the leader... Rulin Allred, I think it was 1977, he was assassinated by a rival cult, which was the LeBaron group. And so that's sort of near and dear to my heart, the topic of cult versus religion. I think the, I mean, there's a definition of a cult. So basically you have someone in control and everyone's beholden to them, you know, but in general, um, I think the we can't plumb the depth, the depths of somebody else's soul ultimately the best we can do is uh watch the results they get so basically the the metaphor in the in the the bible is you can know a tree by its fruit so you can listen to what they say and that might give you an indication to what they're thinking but maybe they're lying and you can watch what they do and even if they're well intentioned but they're not wise enough to be doing the right thing they're not going to get good results so um, ultimately, the best we can do when encountering people of different religions is see what kind of results they're getting in life. So I was born in a Mormon cult, but the modern Mormons, um, I'm, I'm not really fond of the cent centralized uh, structure of it, but most of the Mormons, the just you, you know your normal neighbors that are Mormons, I admire their family devotion and, and their family events and their and the things that they do for their family. So if I had a, a neighbor who was a Mormon, I consider them to be quite civilized and moral and, and a good candidate for a member in my community. So if, um, if someone next to me, if I had a neighbor that was, you know, a, a religion that I had never heard of or knew little about, I mean, I would want to watch and see what are, what are the results do they get? What happens to their kids when they grow up? Do their kids also produce wholesome moral families, you know? So I guess the answer to that question is, that, is you can know a tree by its fruit. And I, I think that's the best we can do. Yeah. And, and the thing with, with cult uh, that I have uh, watched or noticed, you know, and then I never really encountered encounter them in person but it seems like they if you were at if someone is at a place that's not really good you're you like you don't you're really confused or you're really lost in other in emotion or other kind of you know distress then you you 
usually those are the those are the tar- target of the cults. So yeah, so yeah. if uh, people who end up in a cult to begin with are going to have other personality weaknesses probably and the the leader of the cult that their personality weakness is going to be probably, you know, uh they're 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 going to be uh like a you know, very selfish and uh really good at manipulating people and and things like that, but when it comes to um all difficult experiences on, on on earth, if you're susceptible to something, the best way to learn your lessons is to get sort of drawn in and fooled by it. And sometimes you have to learn the hard way because we can't be told everything. So unfortunately, there are some very hard lessons to learn on earth. And in, in my case, I was actually born into it, but, and it sort of put a, it, it defined the direction of my life in a lot of ways, because they were sort of a doomsday cult. And so everything was about preparing for starvation and, and the end of the world. And, but, but the hard experience defined a lot of things in my life that caused me to learn things that I would never otherwise learn. So I don't regret it, I guess. Right. And so I guess my, what I wanted to say to people who, who, you know, might be listening to this and is having a hard time when you make those choices, you know, watch your own state. If you're, if you are stressed or scared or any kind of extreme emotion, if you're in those states, you know, really take your time to make the decision or to observe, you know, don't, don't forget to look out for yourself, even when you're desperate. Yeah, because in in a lot of religious structures, we have this idea that there's an authority structure where you have certain people in the religion that have authority. But that's kind of an illusion because it's you who chooses for them to be an authority in your life. And and they're only there because you choose it and they're only there until you choose otherwise. So if you're in any religion, um, we have to look at the results the leaders are getting. And if they're not getting good results, then that might lead us to more questions. If we don't if we don't think the leadership is displaying the results of civilized moral conduct, then maybe we need to uh examine things further and that goes the same that that goes for the same situation so some some families um have ideas or beliefs about uh hierarchical uh authority structures and those things are voluntary it's only that way until you choose until you choose otherwise so um i think there's an old christian um it's an old christian sort of paradigm where the male is in charge of the family and um i think that goes back to a time a darker time it's like a it's like if you're sailing a ship if if you don't do what the captain says the the ship might sink so maybe in dire times you, you there's no time to argue but i think in modern times uh what would make more sense is for two people to decide or agree ahead of time, what areas of their agreement each of them will be in charge of. And yeah, and and hopefully each one would figure out what, you know, like if someone enjoys cooking and the other one doesn't. Yeah. Or let's say, 
let's say you're in the bedroom with the baby and someone breaks into the house. And so you have to have an agreement and say, okay, which one of us is going to stay with the baby and which one of us is going to go do mortal combat with the home intruder. And some, right. some of these choices are going to be obvious, but let's say when it comes to balancing the checkbook, well, that could go either way. Whoever's better at it, you know? Right. So the, this, this gender craziness, I mean, it, it's, it's really strange. <sighs> you know, how, how it, and it comes to the being programmed. Yeah, and, and honestly, I, I don't think we need to, I don't think you need to study that very deep. It's it's clearly an intention to destroy culture. It's just like a bomb, you know, in this in this strange, you know, fifth generation warfare we're in, that's a, that's a bomb. And we don't need to know a whole lot about the bomb, except that it's very destructive and just avoid it. So we see that, and, and so we should fight it everywhere possible. Um, we should ignore it as much as possible. And I, I, you know, a lot of people will see uh, examples of gender uh, insanity and they'll post videos of it all over the place. And I, I don't think that really helps. I think we, wherever possible, we should ignore it. And if it's in your face, like if it's in your school and encroaching on your kids, then go, go fight it, you know? Yeah. And, and you're not saying that if this, young person feels certain way is wrong. You're just saying that we as adults need to watch uh, for them to develop on their own instead of influencing them in, in ways that's not caring. Yeah. If my, if my neighbor wants to dress up and, and take uh, gender hormones and, and dye their hair purple, I don't care. That's, that's free. They're free. If it's, if he's a dude and he wants to wear a dress, that's cool. I don't mind. If he wants to push that ideology onto my children, suddenly everything's different. Now I do mind. Right. And and how can you see any kind of link in that with language? Um, you know, when I first, when I, how do I say this? So when I came to, when I was still learning English in more deep way like I was already able to talk to people normally and I moved to a place that has very few Asians and so you know somebody told me that if someone calls me an oriental that's a put down and to me that word only means someone from the east (laughs) so yeah Someone was trying to make you a victim. You're a victim now. Congratulations. Here's your certificate. <laughs> and, and luckily, how that thanks to my slowness, I never got it. I was kind of like, why? Why take it that way? I mean, it, yeah. a word can be said with affection. It, an ugly word said with affection, then it's nice. A nice word said with, with meanness, then it's mean. Yeah, so so you're right. There's a lot of a manipulation of language. So we can say uh, Black Lives Matter, and that's that's supposed to be okay. But if you say White Lives Matter, or or even All Lives Matter, is supposed to be racist. So they're trying to bend our mind by bending our language for sure. And and I kind of see that with manipulation of emotion. It, it, 
Do you see that? Um, yeah, uh, emotional manipulation is everywhere. And so all of the people who are susceptible to the, this are, are the most basically emotionally immature. And you know, without emotion, we wouldn't be human. So we need emotion, but it needs to be tempered by logic. And if we were fully just perfectly logical with no emotion, we probably wouldn't even have a desire to live. So there needs to be a balance. And so those who are the more unbalanced are, are easy to influence. And they're probably the ones who get influenced into uh, dressing up in black and throwing bricks through windows, you know? Huh. So it depends on the person's, person's uh, I guess, traits. How... Yeah, if, if you're really prone to emotional extremes and someone points out a fact to you without the, without, uh, the opposing fact, let, let's say like if you look at some of the talking points of Black Lives Matter and they say, oh, well, one, one black guy was killed by a police officer, that's enough to send you into a rage and, and, and think how horrible that is. Now you want to go protest. But a slightly more logical person might say, well, uh, police officers killed police officers kill white people too. In fact, it's it's even more. So, if you if you jump to emotion before logic, that's sort of a sign of emotional immaturity. And if that's how you are, you're sort of doomed to whatever uh, whatever destination they're going to railroad you to. And that reminds me of things I heard when I was little. So. Um how how i don't know if i i think most people don't realize that uh china used to be a free country <laughs> you know in the early 1900s and so when when after world war 2 the communist arm com, communist army um kind of provoked provoked the farmers and i think they were so their their life was so hard that they have no you know when when they're told that that people out there are are out to get you nobody cares about farmers and and so there, the what you said about people who get easily provoked, provoked, or like that, like they they just heard that oh these these people people don't care about us, we must go fight, you know. Yeah. So they so they were provoked into action, and then later on, the people who provoked them then made policies that killed them, and so that's the same old story with communism everywhere. Right. So, so it's kind of, you know, it's weird to me because that's a long time ago and people, especially farmer, they have no access to outside information, sometimes yeah. not even outside of their village. But nowadays we have all kinds of ways to research. Yeah, that's true. And that, and I think that it has changed the way population control happened. So it used to be since we were, there was so little information, they could just hide things from us. And, but I think in the modern information age, the way deception occurs is through obfuscation rather than um, occluding the information. So for example, every 
you know, needle of truth is hidden under a haystack of lies. So since data is infinitely able to be replicated, instead of trying to hide the truth, they they replicate versions of half-truths to bury the real truth. So even though we have access to a huge amount of data, if we're looking for it and we know what to look for, there's so much misinformation and disinformation that it outnumbers the truth, you know, thousand to one. Yeah, and that's kind of scary because those are those also populated the internet. So when you research, you might not find a real source or a source of a real fact. And yeah, that's exactly. kind of concerning. So that goes down to, you know, how how do you know how you know and it, it, to me it's i have to eventually rely on instinct and also just be spec to to suspect everything yeah there's no there's no shortcut to learning the truth if you find a a meter stick and you wanted to see if it's a true meter but uh, but you how can you know if it's a true meter so let's say you find another meter stick and they're both different and so you say okay well which one's which one's the correct one so no matter what you find, you supposedly you need some other kind of uh, fact to verify, to fact check this fact and then fact check that fact. But ultimately, it comes down to the crucible of experience. So we have to apply things in our life and we learn things through experience that um, help us understand what's true and what is not true. And over time, we come to know or recognize the deception when we see it okay so and i also mentioned last time about uh united states being such a having relatively short history compared to many um country like yeah that's true i i grew up here and so to me it seems like history goes back to you know columbus when columbus came to America in 1492 and then you know over 200 years ago our country was formed and that's kind of my history and so when I study history of of European countries and and uh, Asian countries it's it's daunting how far back your history goes it's not just like a little further it's a lot further (laughs) right so so I'm kind of thinking that you know it's harder to to define you know, I, I know in, in other countries, they often talk about American culture. But to American, a lot of them are either, I think, often made to think that they have no real culture. It, 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 am I making any sense? Or Well, I, I think, um, of course, we have our culture. It's It's sort of unique because it's a mix of cultures from all over the world um, and it's forever think, changing because american i i think are pretty open-minded and and willing to learn how do i say that accept new cultures and people yeah like, i think so but, i i think america it, you know i have a i have friends from all over the world and people talk about Americans being racist. I have a great Korean friend. I went to college with him and, and he's one of my best friends. And 
you know, he, he told me, he came to America as a teen, he was 16 and, and I, I met him in college and he started off being really angry at any signs of racism. When, uh, you know, if someone, if he was at a restaurant with a white person and the, the waitress walked up and talked to the white person first, he, he, would, he was resentful. But he said he, he kind of changed his mind when he realized that in his country, they were far, far, far more racist because he said in his village, if they saw a foreigner, like maybe a Chinese person in their neighborhood, they'd go beat him up and maybe even kill him. And, and so he realized that compared wow. to the country he grew up in, which was, which was Korea, uh, he was in South Korea and, and he says they were far, far worse. <laughs> right. So it's kind of like, I was wondering if because of the, because it's not so rigid, it hasn't been, you know, passed down for thousands of years that, you know, it's, it's easy to, to tell American that you you have no, how do I say that? You have no depth. It, you know, it's kind of a way of putting American down so they are open to your manipulation. Well, you I, see yeah, I think there is, there is a devaluation where there's a, they're definitely attempting to devalue the American culture. They say it's, it's racist. It's, it's a uh, misogynistic, you know, um, which is which is a strange word. I, I I heard it said all the time, and finally I looked it up, and it says, it says that those misogynistic person is someone who who hates females. And I thought, well, that's odd. I I know lots of males, and I I hear them talking locker room talk, and and there are very few of them that hate women. I don't I don't think that you that word gets used properly. <laughs> well, that I I, you know, sometimes I'm glad I don't know uh some of the english that's popular english words that i just don't get and this is that was one of the word and and you know to me i i wonder if it because it's my second language that i usually notice how it was said more than what word was said yeah that makes sense there are a lot of i mean with language um, I've spent some time learning some other languages. I spent some time learning Japanese. Um, I, I found the Chinese you? teacher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nihongo wo benkyou shimashita. Ah, ureshi. <laughs> yeah, so um, there's a lot of uh, difficulty in learning foreign languages, but what's the, the, the most difficult part is we say things that have no no actual logical meaning. So we, you know, when I used that term earlier, the wet rag to describe someone who's sort of negative, well, wet rag has nothing to do with that, you know? So yeah, there are idioms. That <laughs> I know there's so many funny things that I, you know, uh, I think one time I went to a school that had that um, Husky was a mascot. So I was talking to my classmate and I was like, a Husky woman and she started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole room started laughing until she explained to me that oh you don't use that word that way i'm like oh okay sorry <laughs> that, that would mean they're sort of big and burly that would be a compliment to a man <laughs> i know but how the heck do i know so you know until today 
I, I, I kind of hesitate. So I don't think I ever tried to do the same thing again. Like, what would be the just, I should, what should I said? What should I have said? Husky. Um, I don't, I don't know uh, if you, if, um, yeah, that's a good question. So that's, that's definitely a trap you found in our language. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many traps. It's not even funny. Uh, but so I think, you know, this, this, when the politically correct, I, I don't know if I call it movement, but when that started, it was so weird to me. What did you notice when it get started? And what did you think of that? Well, it actually started before I was born. It, it, it went way back. So I think probably the first manifestation that I recognized in my study of history is where the women's liberation movement was sort of hijacked. So originally, the women wanted to be able to vote and they wanted to be equal, and uh, uh, which for good reason, no one wants to be a slave. And so they made good headway in achieving that. And uh, it, but it wasn't enough to achieve that, or so it appeared from the outside. It was sort of any, because it became a very politically powerful movement, it was sort of hijacked. The leadership of it was hijacked and it started pushing other agendas. So instead of saying women are equal in value to men, instead they say, well, a woman has to do exactly what a man does in order to be equal. And so in that way, it was used to erode the family, the family structure. So we say, oh, look, this man built a building. And so women need that kind of recognition too, because so they can be recognized. So they must go build buildings. But what they should have said is, oh, look, this woman built a person. And and we don't glorify a woman as a hero for being a successful mother when quite arguably that's probably the most important profession on earth because, you know, those first five years of life are so um, important for the future, the future of humanity. And so if we say a man goes out into the world and does all this great business, that's, that's, that's where the value is. And so in order for a woman to be as valuable as a man, that's what she has to do. And, and we, we take, attention away from the value of building our children and building a, a person. You know, there's a, there's a saying that uh, men build buildings and women build people, build humans. And that's true. And so uh, I first saw that sort of political correctness, you know, it, I'm sure it existed before that. I'm sure it goes way back, but uh, th that's where I first noticed it. And, and I noticed it in studying how the, the women's liberation movement was hijacked by uh, dark forces. And actually what you said uh, brought me to this thought that, that that kind of action actually demeaning being a man or being a, a woman. Because yeah, so I've heard men... of like a, a woman says, oh, yeah, I made my husband breakfast today. And then she gets criticized because she's, you know, everyone calls her a slave, you know. But if the man said, oh, I changed my wife's, the oil on my wife's car today, nobody cares. That's fine. <laughs> well, you know, it, you, I, I would think that a, a spouse made breakfast for another, the partner 
it's out of loving concern. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not like my husband made me do this. Yeah, exactly. And um, in in a in a marriage, hopefully, you're sort of serving each other. But we are the the cultural narrative that we're, they're pushing now is that if the female serves the man in some way, oh, she's being a slave. And if the man is serving the female, of course he should. He, he deserves to do that. That's, you know, so it's, it, it defies logic. And if, if anyone is emotionally immature enough to let emotion overrule logic in their mind, they're going to be susceptible to that. Right. So the, the thought of being partners just out the window. Yes, exactly. And unfortunately, there's no shortcut to emotional immaturity. I think that's one of those things that we we can only grow um, by going through hard personal experiences and sometimes deadly personal experiences, because the people who support this, they, they go along and support this cultural war. It's not going to work out well for them. Um, you know, if they, they go through this gender ideology, it, they're not going to have a family that supports them when they get old and they, they're not going to have progeny and they're not, they're not going to have uh, a future in, in their future generations. They're effectively uh, genetic. Their genetic line is being ended because they're not going to reproduce. And if they do reproduce, their, their kids are probably going to be worse than them. And then that, that's where their genetic line will end. So. Um, oh, they might yeah, they might learn the, the a lesson the hardest way possible, and that is it, it basically kills you. I, I wonder if that's even you know. Oftentimes, when I see things, I think that well, why don't think a little bit further? Um, for example, when you know, every everyone of course wants to keep Earth clean right yes so when we first when the the i guess catch phrase you know re re reduce reuse recycle and i think it should be re reduce recycle reuse because you know the thing that bothers bothers me the most is you make if you take let's say uh the you know the gallon uh, soda pot, soda bottle, the huge one, and you make something out of it. You put glue on it. You put, you know, decoration on it. That made it not recyclable. So yeah, um, when it comes to the environment, that's another movement that got hijacked. So if the original point of the environmentalist was to hey, let's let's protect the environment so we're not living in a bunch of toxic sludge. And it, it gained a lot of power. And once it gained a lot of political power, it became ripe fruit to be picked by those who use organizations for wealth and power. And so now you have these fantastically huge transnational organizations that are that are putting through all these environmental policies that have nothing to do with the environment at all. You know, I'm not I'm not speaking without experience. I've spent probably about 10 years restoring wetland. Here in North Idaho, I've, I work on a project up here that's one of the most successful in the country. And our biggest problem in in dealing with in environmental restoration is we actually compete with much larger companies that form big, you know, hedge funds and financial instruments that sell 
wetland mitigation, but they spend all their money on influencing politicians and regulators so that they can basically accept payment. So let's say someone wants to destroy a wetland and then they, they destroy the wetland and they pay uh, a lot of money to this organization who's supposed to go somehow fix it somewhere, but they often don't. And the, the less work they do, the more money they get to keep. And then they use that money for political influence and controlling regulators. And then we have it on a national or worldwide scale where you have people flying their private planes to, you know, uh, distant locations to talk about ways to save the environment. Um, but somehow no, that's like the funniest thing is someone who, who is using that as their platform would take, you know, sometimes even personal jets to talk about. <laughs> Once again, it's, it's where emotional, uh, extremism defies logic. And so those who are emotionally susceptible will believe that, yeah, we'll shut down this um, power plant in America and instead buy the product from uh, China, where they have much worse environmental controls than we do. So if, the, if you look at the logic behind it, what they're doing is, is nonsensical. But if you're, if you're ruled by emotion, then you're going to believe it. And, and I think for me, like I said, it seems like people just can't seem to see further you know, or, or deeper, you know, the, you don't see, you just see, oh, I'm doing this, so I'm helping, but you, you don't think where it goes next. Yeah, I know what you're, I know what you're talking about, and I have this weird suspicion about that, so there's this, of course, we know that the whole media is, you know, has a lot of control on, on the narrative and the things we see. I have this suspicion that there's more people who see the truth than, than we would suspect. And I think that that's purposely hidden from us. And they, as part of the social mind control trick that they're pulling on us, they want us to think that this is how everyone thinks, or at least this is how lots of people think. And I suspect that, you know, earth has more hope than we give it credit for, because no matter what news we're looking at, somehow it's influenced by the, the social, you know, the oligarchical controlled, news media and so even when you see like someone who's exposing the truth usually they're 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 reprinting a lot of things in the contemporary media so i think that there's still a lot of influence that makes us believe humans as a whole are worse off than we actually are i suspect that there's more people who see uh, a mature picture than it seems like well i i think from the reaction of people canceling PayPal, that would be a sign that if you're you are right. Yeah, that's a good sign for sure. I, I canceled my PayPal a couple of days ago. It was great. I, I don't use it much anyway, but I thought, you know what? I, I should practice what I preach, so I canceled it. It's it was. I'm so surprised that they were. It was easy, other than getting a bunch of emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and it's so scary though you forget what you had what you used it with you know because they do send out stuff like oh we we um are discontinuing this agreement with between paypal and that company and but when i ask for the my data it's not in it It, it's there it didn't say that this this thing was made 
this link between PayPal and that company is, you know, it, it's not there. It's, it's so, <laughs> like, like you said, there's no, it's kind of to me, there's no, no, how do I say that? You just have to, to, there's no zero and one, I guess. Oh, it's not, it's, it's not a binary, it's not binary where it's all good or all bad, right? Yeah, or, or, you know, you just have to keep in mind with, with those companies that even if you delete your stuff, you might not have really deleted it. So yeah, the best we like, can do is it's to like just... exercising a demon, you know, maybe you never know if it's really gone. <laughs> Well, but, you know, just so at least we're educated, at least we know, you know, just in our mind that we know, and then we could do, you know, at least from now on, they don't get anything from us. Yeah, it's a, it's a journey, not a destination. We're not going to get to the safe place like, oh, now we're safe and we don't have to do anymore. It's, it's, it's a journey. So it's better that we're on the right path. It's not so important where we are. It's more important where we're heading. Or, and, and what you're doing too a lot of yes. times it, it bothers me so much when people have objections you know they don't they don't act and a lot of them also don't offer a solution they just they just want to talk about it as you know in one way i think they just want to show how much they know but they're they're also showing how much they are uh how do i say that they're they they don't seem to be able to act yeah and, and they're sowing discord and i think they come in two flavors you have intentional trolls and i think there's a lot of those who who just come in and, and uh plant discord and distrust and negativity on purpose and then there's others who are just afflicted with pessimism and they believe in it and they um, they push that. And I read an interesting study about pessimism and optimism. And, th and that was that pessimists, their view of life was more accurate. They were more, uh, more likely to be, uh, uh, accurate with the truth, but optimism optimists were more likely to get what they wanted. So even though they were less accurate, their, their view seemed to be over optimistic. They had a better success rate because, in my opinion, the optimism actually pushes you somewhere, just like pessimism pushes you somewhere. So we should be over-optimistic. We should be optimistic beyond what the evidence supports because that optimism is a, a force. It's a force of nature. You know, in religion, you might call it faith. Well, and, and to me, it brought up two things. The first thing is the, the pessimistic people are stuck in the path. And because that's what they see, that's where they are uh, always uh, in Buddhism. There's a, a phrase, uh, your mind creates all. So when your attention is on the past, that's where you'll stay always. And if, if your attention is on the good things in your life, then you'll just see more good things. And when you see more good things, you're, you're more you're more likely and, and more willing or even naturally just want to do something that's effective. 
Yeah, I think that's very important point. It seems simple and we want a solution that involves something physical that we can grab a hold of. But frankly, I think the highest form of causation that we have access to is our, our attitude. And so um, strangely, and and it seems strange to say, but if if we could learn how to be optimistic without taking a drug to do it, it would solve <laughs> more problems than everything else combined. If I mean, just the the health field alone, if you look at the amount of disease that's caused by stress, and the stress is basically pessimism. And if and if you look at the way uh, our immune system works, our parasympathetic versus sympathetic nervous systems, our vagus nerve, our digestion, and how there's like two gears in your body. And if you're at peace and at rest and laughing and with family and, and comfortable, your immune system is is way up and your healing is way up and your body's rebuilding. And then if you're, if you're worried or pessimistic and feeling negative, your body's in like fight or flight mode. And it's like putting the energy to your muscles in case you have to run or fight. And, and that's, that applies to all areas of our life. So it's like, here we are, we're human. I think we're barely out of the jungle. We like to consider ourselves really intelligent because we compare ourselves to cows and ants and things. Oh, look how we, th we think we're so smart, but I don't think we're that smart. I think we're barely, <laughs> barely smart enough to maybe survive. And I think if, if you ask yourself, okay, well, how does a dumb person survive when there's far more data than we can ever process? And I think the best thing we can do when, when for the most part, we're ignorant of most facts in life, and I think the best thing we can do is is to propagate and promote and grow a really good mental attitude, an optimistic mental mental attitude. Because without without that power, I I don't think our logic, mental capacity is gonna gonna get us through this. Because there's just too many facts we can't see. There's too many uh, pieces of information that are out of our view, and we we make the best decision we can based on the information we have, but how much information are we mi missing in relation to how much we have? It's We're missing like an infinite amount of information. But the attitude is sort of like a catch-all. It's like a broad paintbrush. And I think the attitude will steer you right in a field of information that is infinitely broad. And so I, I understand that. And I really would like to bring the 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 our chat back to the culture of united state it's it's how do i say that because it's such a young young country maybe yeah, I, as I don't like know. young young people there's not a lot of confidence and I don't know. You might be a better uh, judge of that than me because I was brought up inside it and you you came from the outside. To, to some degree, our culture comes from Europe. So most of right. what we do here has roots in, in Europe and then, and of course, other countries as well. But um, I, I don't know when I'm um, when I think of all the solutions and the problems with our culture, it doesn't really. Uh, being a young culture to me doesn't seem it doesn't really come up in my mind much it's obviously there's problems that we need to solve and we need to, to take control of the engineering of our culture well <clears throat> Maybe... and, and that's why i was thinking that that 
you know, that's a culture too, being so, so uh, perhaps not as tied down by tradition and able to, you know, that's, I think that's one of the reason why uh, Americans are, are innovative. They're, they're, they can, they're creative because they, you know, they have no restriction in their, in their thinking. There, there's no box for them. Yeah. And a lot of us are sort of rebels. There's a lot of rebellion in our culture. If you look at the way, you know, when the, when all the, the vax mandates hit the world, it's interesting to look at how each country uh, responded because they pushed it as far as they could in every country. Right. And so it's a good measure of the culture to see how far they got in that country. And if you look at Canada and you look at um, uh, places like Israel, I, I think everyone there took it. Uh, Australia, they seem like they made great, uh, great progress in Australia pushing that. And in, in America, in, in certain cities they did, certain states they did, and others they didn't. Um, where I live, very few people, you know, took part in that. But... Uh, we are as a as a young culture i think we fared better than a lot of places that were old culture as far as having that pushed on us right and the other virtue that i notice is how uh americans really respect other people's culture and they they really care and and i so hated that it's being used to be, to manipulate american yeah, every everything wonderful is being used to manipulate. Everything, every ideal gets hijacked um, through deception. Yeah, for sure. So if you're looking for for if anyone doubts their Americanness, <laughs> please know that that you know there's so many beautiful things about being American. It you know. And, and be proud and just being proud is not just I don't mean it in a patriotic way but in a confidence um, I guess mature confident way of just knowing yeah that's a great way to put it patriotism can sometimes lead you astray if patriotism means go follow your government you know and sometimes you have uh, Ray Epps uh personality saying oh be patriotic let's go start trouble you know so patriotism you know it can mean a problem something problematic if if it's loyalty to the wrong thing if it's a loyalty to an ideal then patriotism is great yeah or loyalty to to your fellow fellow countrymen like you know be nice to each other yeah. And, and so, so for me, the way I feel is that I, I want to be loyal to all civilized and moral people of the world. I don't really care where you're from. Right. And if, if someone was coming to this country and they, they behaved in, you know, with civilized moral conduct, I, you know, that's, that's great. I have no problem with that. Well, I, I have, I really, so I notice a lot of times immigrant loves America more than a lot of American. Yeah, that's very common. <laughs> so, you know, it, it it's hard for us to see that American don't like themselves. It, it's painful. Yeah, and, I read a great book by Yanmi Park called In Order to Live. And mm -hmm. uh, I was able to chat with her a little bit 
but she's from oh. North Korea. And so uh -huh. she escaped oh. into China and eventually escaped from there to South Korea and then found out that the South Koreans were racist against North Koreans. And so yep. she was treated very badly yep. there and finally came to America. So great book if anyone hasn't read that. But um, she also has a lot of videos on uh, YouTube. You can look her up. But uh, she uh, originally she was her sort of she was an activist, a human rights activist, and she was trying to promote the problems in North Korea, but eventually she realized she needed to save this country as well. And so she started talking about how Americans aren't proud to be Americans, you know? Yeah. And so, and my way of dealing with it is to just really always express my gratitude whenever people help me and they, they might not even be American. I don't know. Cause we're, we're interacting online so much, but I, and I do that. I do the same thing with, you know, support lines on the phone. And I noticed something. People, and it might just be the way I express myself, but I am so thankful to people that I think sometimes they think I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what would be the best way, but I, I, I still don't care because if you're if you're doing something nice for me i want to let you know yeah it, it reminds me of when i lived in the big town and lived in an apartment building and you see your neighbor who lives next to you in the same building and you say hi to them and they look at you like maybe they're worried you're a stalker or something but now i live out in the country and the the land is so huge that the neighbors are physically you know they're very far away you can see them but they're very far away and so when you stop and say hi to your neighbor, I mean, you're going to sit there and talk for a half an hour. That's how it is. So it, it's interesting how, you know, <laughs> what you mentioned, when you behave in a thankful way, people think you're crazy. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I, 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 I it's okay that I do that then. <laughs> yeah. Be, be thankful. Maybe they'll learn something, you know? Well, I don't know. I, I just want to, you know, sometimes it's really good. Sometimes they really get shocked and then I can tell that they're going to be having, you know, they're going to smile the rest of the day. I can hear that in their voice. So, yeah, so some people are used to dealing with other people sort of like robots. I mean, we're culturally engineered to treat everyone else as an untrusted person. And then we do everything for the centralized economy and we get everything from the centralized economy and have as little relationship as possible with our community. So we need to engineer our own culture to build that uh, relationship directly and, and gratitude and thankfulness is uh, great for that. Yeah. So just a reminder uh, that people you inter interact with are just like you. They're people. <laughs> Good point. Well said. Okay, so is there anything else you would like to add? Well, um, I opened up a number of new chat groups on Telegram. My reasoning was that when you have thousands of people in one chat group trying to talk about multiple topics, it's like piling all the library books in one big pile. And so I've divided multiple chat groups into topics so that I can post something on my main channel, which is William Wallace Welker. Or William Wallace Welker uh, on telegram and 
sometimes I post something that's about culture and then, so I'll put a little, a link to the culture chat and something, sometimes I'll post something that's about building your own stuff at home. So I'll put a link to the maker's chat or the food, or, you know, I've got one for technology. There's even one for secret societies there because I have sort oh. of an, a, a unique viewpoint there as well. So lots of different chat groups. I think I have about 10 or 11 now, but the idea is it's divided in topic to help create a coherent place to talk. And I have to give a shout out to my admins. It's because of them that I have that, that we have this peaceful place for people to talk about the things that matter most without being completely drowned out by spam, because that is a problem on telegram. But, um, with a team of admins I have, I think we're able to manage, uh, channels better than average. Right. And as a, a member, I really appreciate that too. Cause I don't, I can, I can say what I think without being scared of being canceled. Yeah. And <laughs> telegram is difficult because there's so much spam that people set up these bots to ban anything that looks like spam <clears throat> and the bots aren't human. And so they automatically ban people for innocent comments. And so I've set it up in such a way that the bot, the automated bots don't actually do any banning. They, they never do. And so they'll, they might issue a warning. So if you say a trigger word, let's say you've got the dollar sign in your post and you haven't had very many posts yet, it's going to trigger a warning, but it's not going to ban anyone. And then a, a, a admin will look at it and then approve the person so that they're, they're no longer affected by the spam bot. Or if it turns out they are a spam, then we'll, of course, we'll let them go. Right. So, you know, who says AI is going to take over? You still need people. Yeah, and if if AI, AI takes over, then you know it you lose the whole place loses relevance to humans. I I don't really, um, I don't think AI wants to survive. You know, humans want things. I think when they when they talk about AI, they compare it to human logic. But when it comes to human emotion, it's probably a thousand times more complex. So AI, yeah, is, you know, it, it can calculate numbers, I guess. If if you if there's no human who wants to use AI, yeah, and, I mean. and, yeah, and it, uh, I think emotion is probably harder to quantify than the AI developers think. It's easy to uh, fake emotions. You can draw a picture with a smile on it, and that sort of fakes emotion, right? And it's easy for right. AI to fake emotion, but to to have actual real emotion. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's probably orders of magnitude more complex than they think. That's just my opinion. Yeah. So, you know, just, just, it, it goes back to the same thing. Why, why are people being underappreciated? That, that's, you know, the, I think that's part of the programming that we've been talking about. Correct. Yeah. Part of the, Part of the cultural engineering project that the people who farm us are engaged in. So, and, and one of the reasons for me to have this podcast is to provide a, a place for people to express themselves. Well, I appreciate that. And, and thanks for that. It's great to have a place to talk about the things that, that we're talking about. There's so many dire things going on in the world right now, I feel like we've lost sight 
of the things that we need to be self-responsible about and take care of. I know it's super important to take care of the voting and the fraud and the political stuff. I, you know, I know that's important, but you got to take control of some things in your life. In addition to that, you got to grow your own food and, and uh, be responsible for your technology and your, your communications and your health. And um, so I, I guess that's what I'm trying to do is uh, pick up some of the pieces that uh, are just as important as the, the, the big pieces that I see out in the media a lot. Right. Like everyday thing is important. You got to live. Yep. Yep. Okay. So I know we have, you know, lots more to talk about. So um, I will, we'll chat next week then. Yep. Sounds good to me. That's been great. Thank you. Take care. This has been Green Fossible. Thank you for listening. Your host, I, signing off.